Well, you're looking around, there's a lot of males in this room, isn't there? I hope there are as many men in this room as there are males. Amen? My goal this morning is to make every male in this room squirm. And make every man thankful. And I was drawn to this contrast all week. Males versus men. You know, you have both in every situation. Consider 9-11. Lots of males were running away from the building. But with all due respect, only men ran in. Amen? I was thinking about the tsunami of 2004. Maybe it's 2005 actually. Lots of males were running away from the beach. But only men ran towards the water. And as I thought about those situations, my mind thought of Joseph. There were lots of males that God could have selected to be the earthly father and the earthly husband of the Virgin Mary. There were lots of males, but apparently He found one man up to the task. His name was Joseph. And this morning, I want us to look at the footprint that Joseph left for us. In a word, I think he left us the footprint of courage. Man, would you say that word with me? Courage. Say it again with me. Courage. You know, when you think about the word man, can you say that with me, guys? Man, I mean, you've got a low voice and you want to kind of say it with some kind of like Campbell's chunky, meaty soup in your mind, you know, kind of like those commercials. I mean, the word courage just rings with manhoodness, doesn't it? Courage. You think about chivalry and knights and, and manly things. Think about these things, these ways that Joseph was courageous. You know, it took courage to resist the plunge towards public vindictiveness. You'll see that in our text in a little bit. I'm sure he wanted to make sure everyone knew, hey, 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 that's not my child. She's not pregnant because of me way before we're married. It took courage to listen to the voice of God and and not the pseudo-wisdom of those around him. Just imagine if you were Joseph. You're having coffee at Terracino's, Jerusalem style, and you're telling your accountability group, this this girl that I'm kind of betrothed to, she's pregnant. But guys, I promise it's not me. You know what they're going to say? Well, Joseph, let's lay out a plan for you, buddy, because you've got to protect yourself and you've got to... But you know what? He heard the voice of God in spite of all of that society said to him. That took a lot of courage. Because you've got to hear through people to a singular call upon your life. It took courage to remain true to Mary in the face of societal pressure and a lot of disdain. You know, in the movie The Nativity, there's an interesting scene. Joseph and Mary are leaving the town headed to Bethlehem. Have you seen The Nativity yet? Do you recall this scene? They're leaving the town and all the folks that were, they thought were their friends are sneering and kind of looking at them. And, and Joseph makes a comment as they're leaving on the donkey, something, and I don't remember the comment, but like you know, something about a lot of friends here don't win. You know, he just really kept his face towards Mary and towards God when all the folks in that village were like, man, what is wrong with you? It took a lot of courage to abstain from sex until after the birth of Jesus. And all the men in the room said what? 
Amen. I mean, imagine you getting married, being betrothed on your honeymoon night. Not tonight, honey. I mean, that took a lot of courage. And all the guys are acting all spiritual here in the room right now. I can just see you're like, you're afraid to laugh, you're afraid to say amen. Come on, guys. It's the marriage night, it's the honeymoon, and he's thinking, man. But he had courage to be able to, with, to withhold and restrain himself, himself sexually even. Joseph's whole journey was one of courage. Have you ever asked yourself, though, where does courage come from? And you see someone with courage. You see a man's kind of man. So how did they get that way? I think Joseph's life really lays out a, a and I hate to use the word recipe for courage because it's kind of a, a womanly word, isn't it, with a manly word. But you get my point, right? He kind of lays out a formula for courage. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. I want us to see three things this morning that, that help us understand courage. And I'll encourage you to write these down in your teaching tool. And uh, when you're done, you hand it to your wife and she'll make sure you get it. And it's on your mirror and your car. Should, no, I'm just kidding you about that. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Will you circle the word righteous? Everyone in the room, circle the word righteous. Because he was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now watch this, guys. Let me share something with you. Here's the first ingredient to becoming a man of courage. You must practice Personal integrity regardless of public pressure. You must practice personal integrity. Can you, I'll hate you as you circle the word righteous. That's a, that's a great word. Let me, let me talk to you about this word righteous. Joseph was a righteous man means, first of all, he was, now watch me here, he was positionally righteous, yes. In other words, he had chosen to believe in what God had said about the uh, who would come to save them. And I think he was, I use the word in the Old Testament way here, justified by his faith, by looking forward to what was come. So in God's eyes, Joseph was righteous in the sense that he was considered right before God. But there's another point of this word that we often neglect. And that is the, the root of this word righteous is the word right things. If I were to say to you, Perry is a righteous businessman. I'd be talking to you about the practical side of his life. Are you with me? See, there's this positional side of righteousness that God takes care of the moment I believe. God sees me as righteous. I have nothing to do with that except I simply believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, as the only way to heaven. Are you with me? It's called justification. But there's another side of it where practically I live out a righteous lifestyle by doing, watch this, right things. Did you know that Human righteousness is actually just right things. You do the right thing. Now notice what was in the right thing to do here. Look in your text with me. The right thing to do was not to expose her, but probably to divorce her. We often think that the right thing was to, was to embrace her and to, you know, be this knight who runs on the horse and saves the day. He did that. But watch this. Technically, legally, judicially, the right thing was listed in verse 19. He, could have, he probably could have exposed her out of public vindictiveness. 
and made a spectacle of her. But he, instead, because he was a righteous man, he chose to do the right thing. Not get his own way, but, but to just probably put her away quietly. Now, I want to say something about that. Courage is, is birthed in this incredible desire, men, to do the right thing all the time. It's called integrity. It's called character. And it's what you are when the lights are off and nobody's looking. It's how you speak to your wife and kids when your friends from your lighthouse aren't around. It's how you treat your coworkers when your superior or your boss is not looking or it's not a week before evaluations. It's how you spend your money when you know that no one will know what you do with this $10. Integrity and character. The, in, the incredible, compelling desire in a man that says, you know what, if nobody ever knows, I'm going to do the right thing. And if everybody says, don't do it, I'm, I'm still going to do the right thing. I think that's really lacking in a lot of men today. I think men make manhood very complex. Did you know that? My personal opinion is manhood really isn't really that complex of an issue. There's accountability groups and there's promise keepers and there's men's fraternity. I think all those things are great. But you know what? Manhood really isn't a complicated thing. If you just do the right thing every day, you'd be a man. Think about it. Just do the right thing every day. You'd be a man. That's called practicing personal integrity. The reason we don't sometimes is because we let the other voices get into our head. We let pressure begin to squeeze us. We worry what people think about us. In the movie The Cinderella Man, the main character is a boxer who's trying to make his way to the top. And on his way to the top of the boxing arena, he finds himself just incredibly broke. Nothing to his name. No food for his family. And so his son steals a loaf of bread to feed the family. The Cinderella man, the boxer, takes his son and the bread, goes back to the store. And he says, you turn that back in, you tell the man you're sorry. And there's this conversation about what our needs are versus what's the right thing to do. And the Cinderella man stands up to his own son and stands up in the face of, of pressure and says, listen, we don't do the wrong thing just because we feel differently or our stomachs are hungry. We do the right thing. And he makes his son apologize and he gives the bread back. And in that movie, you know, in that scene, I think to myself, with a, as a father of a boy, he nurtured a lot more than an appetite in that encounter, didn't he? Now, when you say the word appetite in men, that's two good words. Amen, guys? I mean, but in that situation, he took his boy and taught him something more, much more important than just about food and his appetite, about integrity and doing the right thing. Men, Joseph was a righteous man because he did the right thing. Question. Can the people around you call you a righteous man? Or would their first thought be, well, yeah, I, and they think about ways you slipped around the corners, 
or cut through here or took an easy route there. Or what they say, you're a righteous man. And I pray that at First Family, our assembly, our church is filled with righteous men. Males who do the right thing. Amen? Like Joseph. When that becomes a compelling desire inwardly, a real thirst for righteousness, for right things, I'll tell you something. Courage is starting to be birthed. That's the beginning elements of courage. Let me, let me share something that I wrote down this week. Some of the places that courage, excuse me, some of the places that we need to practice personal integrity. I'm going to read through these, so just pardon my attention downward here. I want to make sure I read this. I don't want to just kind of go off a trail here. I've spelled out some areas that we need integrity. K-I-D-S spells. Kids demand integrity. Do you keep your word to your kids? Do you listen when they talk to you? Do you model the kind of lifestyle you want from them? W-O-R-K demands integrity. Do you fulfill your agreements? Are you supportive and loyal to your boss in your words and actions? Are you honest in your reports and fair in your responses? Are you on time when no one else will even be there that day? F-A-M-I-L-Y. Family demands integrity. Is there duplicity in your lifestyle? Does your family see one thing on Sunday, another on Monday? Do they hear one thing on Sunday and another on Monday? How is language in your home? Do they always see you making excuses when it's convenient for you, but pressing them into a corner? Are you, uh, excuse me, are you honest about where you've been, what you've spent, and who you've been with? Hey, finances demand integrity. Almost like a personal audit, you know? How often do some people say, man, I'm just broke, and then you find them eating out four or five nights a week. They're spending on, they're buying excessive luxuries for their home. Are you being truthful to yourself and each other about your spending habits? Are you being honest about your taxes and your reportable income? What if you get too much change back? Do you give it back? Society demands integrity. Do we actually vote for people with biblical values? Or do we take the easy route and say, well, it's the only two choices I have, so I'll just take the lesser of two evils. Evil still evil. Regardless of how less it might be. Are you with me? Do we speak up for what's right even when the culture says we're not politically correct? You see, integrity speaks into our hearts and says, do the right thing. Now, I've not always done the right thing. And neither is every other man in this room. Amen? When that happens, here's what you do, guys. You go to the person that, to whom you didn't do the right thing and you say, listen, I didn't do the right thing. But it's my desire to be a man of integrity. To be a Joseph of 2006. So, will you forgive me? And then you do whatever you have to do. You do whatever you can to make things right. And then you move on. Integrity is compromised when we try to cover up our mistakes. Are you with me? I mean, integrity is not ever making mistakes. Good night. We'd all be history. Are you with me? But when we make a mistake, when we when our integrity is is like put aside for a moment, say, oh, that was not a good decision. Then we go to those people that 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 are involved with that and say, listen, that is not my heart, and that's not what I desire to be. Can we make this right? You make it right, and then you set the plate clean, and and you you become and you continue to be a man of integrity. That's how courage starts, and that takes courage, doesn't it, to make things right. 
This is what I've noticed. That first time it happens, and that little voice says to you, oh, don't worry about it. They're not thinking a thing about it. It's not that big a deal. And we kind of sweep that under the proverbial rug of our life. No one sees the, the hump, the lump, the bump in the rug, do they? So we let it stay there. We keep doing that. Integrity is compromised again. And again, that, that suddenly gets bigger. And then it takes even more courage to deal with this big old lump in the rug of our life. Everyone's like, man, you've got to step over that thing to, to talk to that guy. You've got to move around it. And if you'll just deal with each one as soon as you can, that'll be a lot easier, so to speak, than dealing with a big, massive clump in the rug of your life that you can't deal with and can't get around. Just deal with each one. Take that kind of courage to do the right thing and make things right every single time. Here's what I want you to do. On your, on your teaching tool, draw a circle. And just put an I in there or write the word integrity. I'm going to have you draw three circles here in a minute. But just for now, draw a circle, kind of like the one behind me here. It's very simple instructions. Draw a circle, write integrity in there, would you? Then let's notice another component of courage. In verses 20 through 23, we see that Joseph became more than just a man doing the right thing. He became a man who pursued God's vision, not man's wisdom. Look at verse 20. Let's read these verses. I want you to follow along with me in this text. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. By the way, it's the opposite of courage, isn't it? Fear. So you're struggling here. Do I do the right thing, which takes courage, or, or, or do I just simply act in my fear and, and, and do what everyone else says to do? The angel said, Take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You know, I love these verses because they speak to something that Joseph did. He pursued God's vision, not man's wisdom. In fact, my own personal opinion is about this text, that Joseph, now watch me here, on a practical, right thing level, Joseph went above righteousness. I don't mean that positionally. But practically, the right thing, legally, judicially, he could have easily said, I will not disgrace her publicly, I'll divorce her quietly, and we'll just go that route. But when the angel came to him and said, listen, this isn't about a legal issue. We're talking about the plan of God to redeem mankind. I need you to get in line with my vision. He went way above the call of even just the right thing thinking. And he obeyed God. Aren't you glad that Joseph was tuned in to the vision God had for his life? And I'll tell you something. Watch this. I'm thankful that God chose Joseph. What if you had chosen a man hard of hearing, spiritually speaking? You'd have frustrated Mary. You'd have a baby Jesus in, in predicament number one, two, and three, probably. I mean, on a human level, a lot was resting on Joseph hearing God. Are you with me, guys? And this is a real passion point for me, so follow me, guys. A lot is resting on you listening to God. Man, if you're spiritually hard of hearing, if you're not tuned into the voice of God in your life, how He's speaking into your life, what He's doing in your life. A lot is at stake. And I'm not speaking here just to families. We have single folks in our church. We have um, empty nesters who are, who are widows or widowers. 
I'm speaking to you, all of your associations, as a man living on the planet Earth, a lot rests on you hearing and listening to God. I'm really thankful. Joseph, when he woke up, watch this, he woke up and he said, man, God spoke to me in a dream. You know what you don't find in this passage? I'm going to make something really uncomfortable here. This will be good. You don't find Joseph setting up a committee to see if the dream was right. Now, I'm not here to validate dreams or to deny dreams. That's another message. That's another series called DreamWorks, right? No, I'm kidding about that. I'm not here to talk about does God speak in those ways. That's not my point today. My point is to say this. Joseph was courageous in that when he heard from God, he knew it. And that really benefited his people around him, didn't it? I will say this about dreams. I can't find a single... So far, I'm still researching this, so you help me with this this week. I can't locate a single dream in Scripture given to a believer that was unclear after it was given. Now, I know there were some given to pagans and unbelievers that they didn't know what they were meaning, so they called believers in. But I have never known God to be unclear. People have asked me this week, does God speak in dreams? And I had this dream a few weeks ago, and I don't know what it means. Well, if you don't know what it means, my guess is it's not from God. Is that okay to say? Because God is not a God of confusion or disorder. In fact, God is a God of clarity and forthrightness. And if He were to give you a dream, my guess would be when you woke up, you'd know it was God. So, that's a little bit of the future series on dreams there. Just a little bit, okay? A little preview. Here's what's so cool. Joseph was tuned into God's vision for his life. Not just man's wisdom. And if you want to be a courageous man, you have got to follow something. Watch this, guys. Listen very carefully. You've got to follow something you cannot always see. You see, the world around you will tell you to follow what you can see. I'm going to probably step on a few toes here. So I just pick your feet up, put them on that bar under your chair there, and you'll be okay. Things like uh, materialistic possessions and the kind of lifestyle that the American culture says you, says you have to have. And, and, and that wants you to buy into the physical reality of what you're doing and then transfer that to your kids. But as a father, and I speak here to fathers and dads, one of the best things you can do is to give your kids a vision of something that no one sees. Way beyond cars and houses and jobs. Do we need those? Yes, I think we do, to be honest with you. I mean, I guess. I, I struggle saying that because sometimes you just want to say, who needs all this? I'm going to Africa. But the truth is we have to live it somewhere and we have to drive something. And, and we need to live in this world while we belong to that one. Amen? I mean, we need to be in the world but not ever. So I'm with you there. But, but if that's all the vision we give our children, honey, find a guy that makes a lot of money so he'll take care of you. Wow, that's a good marriage. We're going to tell our daughters that? Or tell our sons, you know, hey, just, just get a good job and... Put your hours in and chunk it, you know, and just... I mean, there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more that we say to our kids that we transfer to them and it goes beyond just what we see. It goes to what we know God is calling us to do and be. And gentlemen, I really believe in my heart spiritual vision rests in the laps of men. The reason some families are faltering is because the fathers are faltering. They've got a very shallow perspective, a very temporal view. 
Man, what, what is God doing in your life? How is God speaking to you and working in you and drawing you to be a righteous man? Here's a question for all the dads in here and the husbands. What's the vision for your family? I hope that question just kind of begins to reverberate. The vision for my family? I don't know. To have one. <laughs> You're saying that, you know. The vision for my family is to get my kids raised so I can save some money. What's the vision for your family? I personally believe that, that as a father begins to, to give some of that out to his family in certain ways. And there's a lot of practical ways to do that. I'm not going to them now. But as you begin to just live out and, and speak out your vision for your family, and that you'll sense a buy-in. I mean, where you go, what you do, and just all that stuff becomes a... Um, and I'm struggling here to kind of get this across because it's such a... It's such a uh, it's a hard thing to explain. When you have a vision for your family, and there's more than just where we live and what's our physical address, you, they begin to pick up, oh, there's something really deep inside driving you. And that's okay, guys. You know why? Because I think every kid, I think every woman, wants to be connected. Let's say they're married. They want to be connected to somebody with a transcendent cause to live for. I really believe that. By the way, you want to see what Joseph's transcendent cause was? Look at the last part of verse 21. He will save his people from their sins. Hey, Joseph, man, I got a lot more in store for you than just a donkey ride to Bethlehem and to pay your taxes, dude. Guess what? I'm birthing my son who's going to save the world, and you're part of that. Can you get on board with that? And Joseph's like, I'm there, God. Can you imagine that talk with Mary? Hey, Mary. This boy within you, I know the angel told you, but man, he's going to save the world from sin. See, I think all of that made the donkey ride to Bethlehem. The line that they stood in to pay their taxes. The financial stress they were under. All of those things seemed to be just kind of like, it's okay, it's okay, because there's a bigger vision at stake here. And men, courage comes from the ability to pursue God's vision for your life, to be connected to His purposes. Draw another circle. Write the word vision in there and make it like this if you would. Make sure it kind of intersects with the first circle to some degree. Alright? And then lastly, I want to draw your attention to a third component of courage. The last two verses. The Bible says this, verse 22, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, underline these two words, he did. He did. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, and he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. You know what I like about this, these last two verses? They show me that Joseph actually engaged in sacrificial action. I love those words, he did. He obeyed God. Now, before you think that was easy, I'll remind you that the text lays out two ways he obeyed God. He took Mary home to be his wife when what? The right thing legally was to do what? Put her away quietly. But because God had spoken to him with a greater vision that didn't conflict with His Word, but that was in line with Old Testament prophecy, Joseph obeyed God, took Mary home to be his wife, I'm sure all of Joseph's friends were like, dude, what are you doing? 
Don't you know that's probably one of Herod's soldiers' kids in her womb? That's not even your child. You can't marry a woman and raise some other's kid. I mean, all these questions. But he took Mary home to his wife because God had laid this on his heart. God had spoken to him. And then it says he had no union with her. Two real sacrificial points of action on Joseph's part. Which shows me something. Courage comes from being willing to engage in sacrificial action. To embrace sacrificial action. Not just superficial anger. The Holy Spirit really spoke to me this week in regards to this whole topic. I'm amazed at how Joseph refused and did not go down the route of anger. I mean, I would have... If this would have been me, my temper probably would have got the best of me. Now, I would love to sit up here and say, maybe not now, because God's done a good work in my life. But ten years ago, if this would have been me, I suspect that I had a different reaction than Joseph. You're pregnant and would I have sacrificed and remained calm and, and been biblical in my responses? Probably not. I would have made sure that everyone knew that because I was stronger, I was going to win. Might is right. And my volume would have indicated that this is the plan and we're going to do this and I'm not going to look stupid here and there's no way that I'm going to... You see, men have this way that when adjustments are called for, if we don't like them, we kind of win by the might is right philosophy, don't we, guys? If we just get louder than anyone else in a home, and since we're probably stronger than anyone else in a home, we'll just make sure we get our way. And can I say to you, that's really not courage. That's just weakness. Courage is the ability in the face of adjustments to make yours first. Let me say that again. Courage is the ability when you're faced with adjustments and changes to make yours first. That's what men do. Watch this, guys. We sacrifice first. If money's tight, gentlemen, you be the first to give up what you, what the little luxuries you have. You be the first. And whenever changes are called upon, I think men should step forward and be the first to sacrifice. Joseph did. He said, okay, God, I'll take her as my wife, no matter what the other folks say. And you know what? I'll abstain from sex with her until she has given birth. You see, that, that, that shows me that, that courage is really a, a hidden structural being in the life of a real man. Did you know that? Here's something I tell my son quite often. And I've spoken on this in several teen retreats. But I'll say to Brett, say, Brett, you know what? A selfless lifestyle is really what God calls you to as a man. And for the rest of your life, you'll be giving up for the sake of people around you. That's just what men do. Now, at 15, 16, he didn't grasp all that. I realize that. I'm just laying groundwork. But I'm going to tell you why I do that. Because first of all, I believe that. I mean, if he chooses to get married... It's a selfless lifestyle. You know, you don't add a wife to your life. All the men in the room should say what? And that's one reason marriage is in trouble. Men add wives like that. They add a wife. That's crazy. You can't add a wife like you're adding them to a list. When you get married, she becomes what you do. Amen? So hunting and softball and hobbies, you know, you need to put those aside for a while and focus on your wife. So we talk about this selfless thing. You know that being selfless is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Do you know that? 
It is. You know where mine shows up? Like at the table. Sometimes, you know, my son's getting older and my kids getting older to eat more and so we'll fix a meal and then I'm realizing we're running low on meatballs tonight. And I'm eyeing the last three and I know Brett's eyeing the last three and I'm like, don't even think about it, buddy. You know? And then, it, it, see, food is like my biggest problem, you know? And so I'm, and I'm watching him and he's drooling at the mouth and I'm, you know, clenching my fist ready to grab him, you know, fork or no fork. And, and then Bethany comes in for basketball practice and she's ready to eat and we're like, now, one time I said to Joy, I said, honey, we just got to make more meatballs when we have meatballs, you know. And she's like, the problem is not the amount. The problem's in the appetite, you know. We're talking about that. And, see, we're all selfish. And you know what? It takes, this is down crazy because it's a simple thing I know like food. But it takes a lot of, you just have to say, you know what? I'd rather you have that. I'd rather you have that. And if I have struggle with food, you, then you know. I mean, you up the ante a little bit on other things about sacrifice. Money and time. Oh, Dad, the car's not working today and I need to ride here and I go there. But I've got these meetings and your mom... And suddenly you're called upon, okay, who's going to make this? And most men would say, hey, well, I've got to go to work. You take care of it, honey. And they head out the door. But you know what I think most what real men should do? They should engage us. Okay, let's figure out a plan here. Here's what I, I can give this up first. And they need to put it on the table first. Here's what I'll do first to make this thing happen for everybody. Because when changes occur and adjustments are called for, real courage means that you're, you'll sacrifice first. I think that your home would be really different this week, men. Or your work would be different. Is if when changes were called for, you were the first to say, hey, here's what I can do to help. And you just initiated some of that. Sacrifice. That's what Chris Spielman did. Chris Spielman played for the Buffalo Bills in the late 90s. In fact, in 1995, he tore his pectoral muscle in the first game of the season. And he played the whole rest of the season with a torn pectoral muscle as a, as a linebacker. Because he didn't want to take time for surgery. He didn't want to miss a game. So he's like, I'll just play through, coach. He's like a man's man, isn't he? I mean, he's like, oh, play through, coach, and I'm going to be okay. And he's you know, knocking heads and tackling quarterbacks and running backs. In the 1998 season, Chris Spillman's wife came down with breast cancer. He walked into his general manager and said, coach, I'm through playing. He said, you can't quit playing football. Millions of folks every Sunday want to see you play. We've got money to make and ratings to get. He said, wait, wait, you don't understand, Coach. i got a wife with cancer. He said, if, if she recovers, I'll come back. I don't know what they worked out financially with his job, but he went home and he began to cook the meals and raise their kids. And he said to the Rochester Chronicle in 1998, he said, I just began to be the man that she married. So someone said to him, a reporter said, hey, what if, uh, what if you know, she, you can hire a nurse or you can kind of uh, work something out to help with the family, like a nanny, or do something like that, and you can go back and play football? He said, well, that'd be kind of crazy, because then, what's this? He said, quote, I'd be breaking my word to her. And Chris Spielman set out that season to take care of his wife. Isn't that cool? You see, guys, when changes are, are upon us, we should be the first to say, here's how I'll adjust. Here's what I'll sacrifice. Uh, anybody else want to jump in there with me? From personal experience, I don't do this real well, but when I have done it, I'll tell you, five other people are quick on the draw with me. When I'm the last to respond, it's like pulling teeth to get anybody else to do anything. It shows me something. They're looking for you to lead, Dad. 
they're looking for you to lead. Men, this week you have a chance to be a courageous man. In the next seven days, you'll have an opportunity to to practice personal integrity. You will. To do the right thing. To pursue God's vision. And to embrace a life of sacrifice. You'll have all those opportunities. When they all come together, I want you to draw three circles. When they all come together, watch this. That's when courage, I'm going to use a word here, watch me, I want to use a word on purpose here. You see the, the place where all of these intersect? I don't know the technical word for this, I'm sure some of our engineers would know, but this little area in the middle where they all three intersect, that's where courage explodes. I want to share something with you, I believe with all my heart, listen very carefully. I think you can have courage in varying degrees, I think you can have a lot of integrity, you can have some sacrifice and vision. But it's when all three of those, as in the life of Joseph, when they all three come together, it's at certain moments when they all three combine and kind of like, boom! That's when a hero is made. Well, let me say it like this. That's when a hero becomes visible. You see, prior to 9-11, there were lots of guys with integrity. They went to the fire station every day, no matter if they got a call or not. Are you with me? It's the right thing to do. I'm going to do it. There were guys with vision and sacrifice, but on a, on a certain day... In New York City, at a certain moment, all three of those had to combine. And you know what it calls men to do? Run to the towers, blazing in fire, upstairs that were sure to collapse. Courage became visible because these three things were already laying in their life, being practiced on a regular basis. Now, as I was thinking this week about these three, I thought, God, you know, 9-11 is a cool story. I'm sure we can find other stories, but... What about the Bible? Is there a place in the Bible where all three of these just really exploded? Because we're talking about being God's man, right? Not just earthly males. Are you with me? And God led me to a, to a, to a simple story in Acts chapter 4. I want to close with this, but I do want you to see it. Would you look at Acts 4? All the people in the room, turn to this passage. Acts chapter 4. Especially the men. Look at this. I love this story because it describes the kind of courage that was born... Out of these three things in a biblical model here. Watch this. Acts chapter 4 is a story about Peter and John and, and how they were being persecuted and what they were going to do about it and what the church had to say about it. And <clears throat> Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 13. Are you there? The Bible says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John. Look at this. And realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Isn't that great? In other words, they saw them as males. That's what unschooled, ordinary men means. That's the Styles Greek translation there. When they saw their courage, but knew they were just males, then they said, look what the next verse says, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know what took these men from just being maleish to a level of being mannish to those rulers around them? It was their courage. Now watch this, guys. I'm going to show you how all these three things exploded this moment. Were they practicing the right thing? You bet they were. What did Christ? What did, what did, the, what did Christ tell them to do before he left? He said, "Go and be witnesses." Acts one eight. Remember, you'll receive power. Just witness of all these things, and so they were. They're in the streets every day witnessing of what God had done. So they were obeying. They were doing the right thing. Was there a vision involved? You bet there was. What was the vision of Matthew 28? Christ said, go into all the 
world and make disciples. Is that not a vision? Hey, you 12, you know, we're here to call the play. You know, it's blue 58 on 2. Okay, ready? Make disciples of the whole world. They're like, Jesus, there's only 12 of us here. The whole world? You know, you have their hands in a million. Ready? Go team! It's like, is there anything? You know, the world? But what a vision that God laid out. Hey, hey guys, make disciples of all the nations. Start in Jerusalem and just bear witness of what you've seen. Okay, we'll do the right thing. We'll do what God said because He's called us to make disciples of all nations. And watch this. When it gets tough, don't quit. The book of Acts is all about how the church grew through difficult times. Even in this chapter here. They were being persecuted, imprisoned. And what Peter and John say? Oh, the witnessing idea and the world idea, that's great, but prison wasn't a part of that. Hey, could we just kind of bypass that portion? But you don't find that. You, found, you find these guys when sacrifice was called upon. They said, we're in. And you know what happened? Courage exploded. And the people said, wow, you, you guys are courageous men. Not just ordinary unschooled males. Wouldn't it be great if first family was filled with men? Not just males. Amen? Men who did the right thing every day. And by the way, you know what the right thing is to do. Someone give me this line about, well, I'm praying about it. My, my goodness, most of you guys know the right thing all the time. It's just a lack of determination to do it. Do the right thing every day. See beyond the temporal world and see God's vision for your life and your family. And then as that begins to unfold, you be the first to say, hey, here's what I'm giving towards it. Here's how I'm sacrificing. Here's the adjustments I'll make. I'm in. You guys with me? I guarantee you, every hand in your family be like, we're in, Dad, we're in, we're in, we're in. Ready? Go team! They'd be in with you. It's true in your workplace. It's true in your, in whatever arena you're in. Let's be men of courage like Joseph. Amen? Let's follow in his footprints and live the next seven days courageously with integrity, vision, and sacrifice. Let's pray, shall we?